Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a farmer-led podcast, the Farms Vice podcast. So thank you for tuning in. For those that farm it, service it, or just outright love it, we bring you the techniques and technologies you need to motivate and implement into your day to improve it one way or another. Make sure you share the Farms Vice to make another farmer's day. Let's get into this episode. Did you know the first practical electric fence was developed in 1936 by New Zealand inventor William Bill Gallagher Sr. Built from a car's ignition coil and a Meccano set. We've all had one back at home. A very similar story to what we have today on the podcast with Paul Thompson, who is the king of finding faults in electrical fencing. We'll let him tell the story. Let's get into it. Paul, how are you going today? Oh, thank you, Jack. Can you? Good, mate. Good to get this year started under under the way and through into 2022. The years have just flown by. We're into our second full year of podcasting, and it's good to have the likes of guests like yourself coming on to the podcast for an episode, very diverse sort of background to what we've had on before, but also much needed within Australian agriculture. Thank so, you. Welcome on, and just give us a bit of a spiel about your background and your connection to Australian Ag. Sure, Jack. Well, uh, I'm an electronics engineer. Um, I was born on a farm uh, in the eastern Riverina, a little place called uh, Lankies Creek. Uh, it's uh, between Holbrook and Chinchalik, Yep. and the enterprise was a, uh, was a sheep farm. But uh, we moved off that when I was only six. Uh, my uncle... Uh, took over the farm and uh, over time that was divided up and my cousins and brothers uh, ended up with, you know, bits of the old family farm and we we kept going back and visiting uh, periodically. So that was my, you know, the basis of my connection uh, with the land and with farming. 
Um, so when I studied uh, electric engineering, um, electronics engineering rather at the University of Queensland, I was happy to take up a thesis project on electric fencing. And um, that basically over time led to the development of, uh, of, of Pacton. So there was a bit of a need there for electric fencing or you directly just went out of your way and said, I'll do electric fencing? Um, there was a need. Um, the, the original uh, thesis topic at UQ was to do with uh, lightning protection, which was interesting. Yeah. But uh, during the, um, the thesis, I realised that there was a great need for um, a device to find faults on, on electric fences. And um, I didn't do anything about it then for about almost 10 years. So it was 84 I did the thesis and it was about 89 that I invented the uh, fault finder. Yeah, right. And I imagine that has found a few faults. It's actually found a few faults on our own places. We, we're predominantly electric fences here, which um, probably at the moment we're looking towards going out of electric fences. But out west where we were, for sheep, goats, cattle even, uh, plays a huge important role, Western New South Wales, and, of course, right across Australia. So for those products... It's a growing market or how's it going on the fencing side of things, sticking with electric fences? Uh, it's booming. Yeah. Um, it's booming uh, both in Australia and uh, everywhere in the world uh, for us. Um, the company has been growing uh, steadily um, since its inception in 1995. And uh, last year was our biggest year ever, uh, despite COVID, uh, despite the supply chain issues. Um, we're growing and growing rapidly and um, a lot of it's overseas but uh, to my great pleasure we're finally starting to carve out uh, some of the Australian market as well. Yeah beautiful so tell me a little bit more about Pacton why it's called Pacton and how did it all start? So Pacton's, um, Pacton's a contraction of uh, Paul and Kayleen Thompson yep P-A-K-T-O-N which I remember reading a book, I think it was called The E-Myth, that, that says that this is, this is what happens when you start a company. And one of the first things he says, oh, you'll name it after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so first companies are often named after the, the founders, and that was no exception. Um, and we, we started uh, Pacton on the basis of that invention of the fault finder. As I said before, it, it took me a while to get it from you know, light bulb idea to prototype and and each step of the way after that, it was it was pressure from people who wanted it, people who had the need. Um, the, the, the thing that pressed me into uh, actually taking a prototype out to a farm for the first time was uh, I had a fault I couldn't find. So I'd gone out to help somebody and I just couldn't find the fault. So I, I, um, I went home and cobbled together a prototype and took it out and, and found the fault. And um, yeah, people kept encouraging me to to go further with it, and uh, we then invented it into a uh, inventors competition at one of the ag shows, and uh, took out the prize. Um, people started ordering it, yep. so I had to make it. And uh, at the point where I think there was a, a month in in 1995 where um, the the yeah the power probe sales were earning me more than my full time job, so we started the company dropped the other job and, and the rest is history, so they say. I think that's how a lot of businesses back then started out. They had the need there before the actual product was built 
And as for you farmers, finding a fault on a fence is pretty crucial to keep your livestock in the boundary. When and how long did, was that process for the fault finder? The, the inventive process? Yeah, to get it to commercial viability. Uh, after, well, about eight prototypes uh, over the space of about two yeah, right. years. Yeah. Um, because I was, as I said, I had another job. I, I was working in industrial automation at the time um, and um, wasn't able to spend uh, full time on it. But, um, yeah, I think it was about the eighth prototype, about a year to two years. Um, I think we won the, the, the farm show in about 91 or 92 and... 95, we started the company. So there you go, a bit longer than that. Yep, beautiful. So at the moment, do you still get to get out to the farms and see what's going on? Or you, as an engineer, stuck behind the computer coming up with version 8, 9, 10, 11? Uh, it's, um, I think it's about version 27 now. Yep. Um, we, that product's still earning money for us. It's, it's, it's what they call a cash cow uh, in manufacturing business um, terminology. Um, it's been a very good product. Um, I think we sold a record number um, uh, last financial year because we keep finding other companies to, uh, to budget. Yep. Um, yes, I still get out to farms. Um, so um, I'm currently working on uh, five different products in a new family of products, a new type of electric fence monitor. Uh, I, I can't really say a lot more than that until we, until we launch it, but um, suffice to say that it's quite interesting and, and difficult technology and I really can't, I can't prove it without going out to a farm fence. Um, so I, I'm, I think I've been five or six times out to farms. And the last time I went out to a fence, uh, everything was working. Um, yep. The process of electronics development is that you, you have an idea, you make a prototype, you test it um, first in the laboratory and then in the real environment. And uh, electric fences on farms started to throw up all sorts of interesting <laughs> problems for us. Um, for example, uh, some fences are run under overhead power lines. So there's induction from, um, you know, 50 hertz uh, EHT power lines. Um, there's other noise sources that, that can interfere with electronics uh, on electric fences, uh, including uh, the energizer itself and neighbouring energizers. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few, few more things to come into play when keeping your electric fences running and especially how we can use different motors for it. So running it off solar or something like that, running the energizer sure. off solar just to, as a backup or even as the lead throughout the day can really compensate for that. So yep. for Pacton, it's an OEM. Can you explain to us what an OEM is and how that plays out for Pacton? Sure. So the the business model that we decided on when we, when we started Pacton was that Early on, we started getting requests from customers who wanted us to make the product, but make it uh, with their brand on it. In other yep. words, the customers were other electric fence companies. And um, so we had, a, we had a choice either to make a brand and, and uh, have a retail brand in the market or be an electronics designer manufacturer who made product for other people. And in the business, that's known as an OEM, an uh, Original Equipment Manufacturer. Um, private labeling is another um, word for it or just badging. Yep. So we do that, but we have also over time um, launched our own brand, which is uh, JVA. JVA. And um, that's been very useful in, in areas where the OEM model didn't work so well. So 
in Australia, for example, um, our original partner, that relationship broke down over time. And so we launched the, the JVA brand in Australia, uh, also in, in South Africa. It's now in the US. And that's actually the biggest now, the biggest component to, of growth in our business is our JVA brand. Yeah, right. So talk to us a little bit about JVA and what JVA does for its customers. So JVA, um, JVA was uh, um, the, the, the brand JVA was born in about 2007 um, out of a specific need for a brand for uh, South Africa. And as I said, also, we then decided to bring it into Australia. And uh, so JVA carries the brand on, on our marquee products, our best products. Um, and not to say the OEM products that we make for other customers aren't good, but we tend to these days take our, our newest, latest and greatest ideas and, and put them under the JVA brand. Um, and, uh, for example, when we launched the uh, IP Energizer, we launched for, I think, three or four of our OEM customers, but also in, in the JVA brand. Yeah, and I think playing that out initially, yourself looking back, would you have been able to grow as well not being an OEM and just having your own private brand? There's, there's a lot of what-ifs. Um, yeah. One of the things I tell people that come to me and, and say, you know, how did you do it and, and would you do it that way again uh, is, is a flat-out no, um, especially not now because there's a, there's a tried and proven process now for bringing ideas to market, uh, getting venture capital, forming a company, and basically starting big. We started small, in fact, tiny. Yeah. We started with, with almost nothing, working in the garage, in the backyard, and turned profits in, turned profits in, turned profits in, and grew the company slowly over time. But I'd never do it that way again um, and never advise anybody else to do it. If you've got an idea that's good enough, bring it to somebody like me, somebody who's already up and running, somebody who might be able to give you venture capital and, and start a business and do it that way because you, you can start off with a boom. There's all sorts of problems in starting off very small and very slow. And one of them is that it's, it's really hard to protect your IP. Uh, for example, the, the patent on the power probe, we lost that within, I think, about a year of, of uh, business. Uh, we were just too small to, um, to protect it against uh, you know, the, yep. the, the, the giants. Yeah, I feel like there's a few farmers out there that have ideas in the market now or they're looking to get ideas out there like yourself, Electric Fence and the Fault Finder. And I think this farmers is pretty, are great at ideas. <laughs> it's a pretty interesting conversation for a farmer that's on the verge of going commercial or yep. they think they're too small or it's no one else will want the product. But for a farmer like that, what would you sort of suggest about launching it? They don't have something commercial yet, but just yep. getting that product off. Well, the first thing to do is if the idea is good enough, lock up the IP, and that can be done actually quite cheaply. Um, if, you, if you work out the steps and work out the timing, you can put a provisional patent on an idea that lasts 12 months. So wait until you've got your ducks in a row, drop the provisional patent on, and then make sure that your idea is good. You've got 12 months to do that, to both make sure that it's a good idea and to sell the idea or to spin up that company based on, on venture capital, which is another way of saying sell the idea. You, you've got to basically convince people that the idea is good enough for them to invest in it. Um, but the um, when I say test the idea, um, I, I've seen 
a lot of great ideas, um, especially going around the uh, farm field days. There's, uh, it's always interesting to drop in at the inventors. Um, most of the field days happen in the farm inventors competition. Yeah, I like that circle. Yep. And, and um, you know, people have got great ideas, but some of them are just a little bit left field. In other words, yep. it's a great idea, but it just doesn't have a big um, use case. It's, it's not going to make money. Um, it, it might be good for their particular situation. It solves their problem, but not enough people have that particular problem. So test the idea in that sort of setting. Um, make sure you've got a good idea and then yeah, go for it. I mean, Clipex, for example, is, a, is a, an example of a, you know Australian idea that turned into a company that away it goes. I think that guy actually first showed it at a, I think that was at the Henty um, Field Day. Yeah, I don't like for new products coming on the market. I think people sometimes overthink it. I'm not an inventor by any means, but just something simple that is mass market mm-hmm. for agriculture or any other industry for that fact is going to be the one that's most successful rather than just you and your neighbor are able to use it and get a benefit from it. Sure. Once you're in business, everything changes. Um, you, you've got your foot <laughs> in the market and then. Uh, the problems become, or the problems that need to be solved become more obvious. And then it's a matter of choosing, um, you know, those to actually put your time into. Um, one of the things that's worked really well for us is, is monitored electric fencing. So we realised about 10 years ago that fences should be monitored. Electric fences should be monitored because if there's a fault on the fence and the farmer doesn't attend to it, it generates more faults because stock disrespect the fence, they'll walk through the wires and then you've got more faults. So the, the technology for monitoring you know, was there for a long time. Monitor electric fences actually started off in security and then wandered over into agriculture. And uh, in 2016, having seen that demand or the, the need, uh, we, we brought in a thing called an IP energizer, which is electric fence energizer directly connects to the internet. It's part of the internet of things. And that allows farmers to monitor their fences. And if you think about an electric fence is the only type of fence you can monitor like that. It's the only type of fence that'll actually tell you when there's a fault, when, you know, there's a break in the fence, a breach, and and you can know that before, you know, something worse happens, uh, like, you know, stock escaping or or worse still stock on the road. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good, Next step for anyone just with a normal energizer, knowing where and when and reacting to that fault when you have it. Um, yep. And even if you're on holidays, you can message someone about it rather than just let it slide. Or yep. not, on the other hand, not even knowing. And so we'll move on. And a pretty cool question to come out of it, what you sent across to me is brands under Pacton, what products are you selling through Underpacton that we well, may know? I can't talk about all of them. Um, um, sometimes uh, companies come to us and they, the first thing they do is uh, make us sign a, a non-disclosure. And uh, so we've got some customers that do that. Yep. Um, but if people would like to you know, type in Electric Fence Fault Finder Australia, they'll see an, some four or five examples of our product in different brands that are for sale on the Australian market. And then there's, there's more overseas. Some, some I can talk about. Um, in the US, uh, one of the larger companies over there, uh, for example, has a, the Zareba brand, 
So we make for that brand. Uh, we make for Kencove, another really big company in the US. So that's been that's been great for us to get into the US market. Um, as I said before, in in South Africa, it's JBA. Uh, then we're also taking JBA into the USA. We've got it in Europe. Um, in in Europe, I think there's four or five brands uh, that we're we're making for. Yeah. Um, essentially, the whole the worldwide uh, industry of, of electric fencing, it's not it's not that big, and we do tend to start to know each other. It becomes a little bit bit of a club, um, and people talk about pact, and then suddenly somebody else will ring us and say, "Ah, oh, we like this, but we don't want that," and we're pretty unique in the world in that. We'll make exactly what somebody wants, even if it's just even if it's just the fault finder. We'll we'll manufacture that budget for them while they go. They don't have to take all of our products. They don't have to stop making their own energizers or buying somebody else's. They can have exactly what they want. Which is also quite good for those companies looking for quality products. And good for yourself that you are making the fencing products and go across right across the world. For like, do you know which country? has the most electrical fencing? Well, uh, good question. Uh, it's the US. Um, yep. So the US is the biggest market for electric fences. Um, huge amount of farming in the US. By capita, by number of farmers using electric fencing, I think it's actually New Zealand. And then Australia is right up there. And then there's some uh, countries in, in Europe. Uh, Germany is quite high. Um, those markets have, have really well entrenched uh, local players, but so... Pacton has, uh, has some of the market, but not um, huge proportions. Um, we're number two in uh, South Africa. Um, uh, in other places around the world, we probably sit three or four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, about 80%, uh, last count around 80% of what we manufacture is exported. Um, lots of different countries. Yeah, right. So pretty similar to what other sort of manufacturers in Australia are, there's very few left, like right across the industries as well. So it's great to have yes. you on board and innovating. And looking at that, innovation is the heart of what you do as a company and yourself as an engineer. What are some success stories that have come from the So one of the things I love is, is a product that we made specifically for game parks in South Africa. Um, as everyone's aware, the, the rhinos in South Africa have been under a lot of pressure for a long time from poachers. And we made a product that basically monitors uh, the perimeter fence of, of game parks like um, uh, Timbenvati or, or Kruger National Park is one that everyone would, would know. Um, now, these game parks are set up with really you know, uh, sophisticated electric fencing around the outside uh, with wires on both sides of the fence. So essentially, they're keeping animals in and, and trying to keep... Uh, uh, poachers out and the product we've made will actually tell the rangers exactly where the fault is and the fault is almost always somebody attempting to cut through the fence so uh, the typical scenario is that our software is running on the pc in the rangers headquarters um, uh, the uh, poachers will hit the fence cut through the fence the rangers will get a, a, a error or alert rather and uh, they'll also be told it's in sector 19, and away they go. Yeah. And they can get there fast enough now to get the guys before they've killed a rhino. So it's starting to turn a tide, and, and, and believe me, before that, almost nothing was. It, it's been you know, quite sad in that the decline of the rhinos was basically being plotted down to zero, 
and now they've got some technology that is working. So really proud uh, of that one. Yeah, 100%. You, yeah, to have that sort of impact over in South Africa, the poaching we've seen is quite large and it's not in the media as much as it used to be, but it is still quite rife and it's happening as we speak now probably. But thanks to the products that yourself at Pacton you've made, we can put an end to that as well. And also the impact that you've had on Australian farming and how electric fencing has played out all starting from the fault finder. Yes. Yep. It's been a, it's been an incredible ride and, at, um, and it, it keeps going. Absolutely. So after these 25 years of engineering, innovating, mm-hmm. what keeps you excited about electric fencing to get up and talk electric fencing or even design the next model? Look, it's, it's, um, it's just something I love doing. Um, I, you know, I started mucking around with electronics as a hobby. I turned that hobby into a job. I turned that job into a company and I still get to play with electronics. Um, I have my own laboratory here at home. Um, I'm, I'm supposed to be retiring, but uh, it's not working. Yep. <laughs> um, so I, uh, we've, we've got lists of probably about 20, 25 products or ideas that could be turned into products. And uh, we've got five engineers now, um, uh, as well as myself, that are working on those products. So it's the excitement of uh, the innovation and new ideas, turning it into a product. And then the thing that you know, all good engineers love to do is to make that product as efficiently as possible, get it to market a good price. And, and the kick at the end, the, the thing that really you know, ticks the box and makes us all happy is when customers like that product and they give us feedback and we go, yep, yeah, that, that, that worked. Yeah, it's a pretty good loop, especially within agriculture. The companies AgTech's coming on seem to get quite good feedback that they can further go out and redevelop it into what's working in the real world out there in the farms, in the paddocks. Well, Australian farmers have been very generous with their time. When I've, when I've called for, for sites for testing, um, you know, people answer, they let me onto their farm. You know, I, I play around with their electric fences give them advice if I can. If, if I can give something back, that's great. But usually it's, it's mostly I'm getting you know, great feedback about the product and having somewhere to test it. Um, the other place we get great feedback is, is the field days. Yep. And, and um, yeah, they, they give us their time. They, they tell us what's working, what's not working, and what they'd like to see, what they'd like to see in a product. I had a customer call me this morning and, and you know, give me some very specific advice about the, the power probe. Um, he said that, it works really for, well for finding most faults, and but there's no indication in the manual on how to find uh, a faulty earth, and it'll it'll actually do it, but you know we don't spell it out in the manual. So great feedback. Yeah, definitely, just one of those things that would have slid right under if it wasn't picked up and given to you yeah. as feedback, of course. So yeah. you said Pacton exports eighty percent of sales. What are Pacton's largest markets across the world? You labelled the US. Europe's quite large, is it? Um, South Africa is actually our biggest customer. Um, and that's so over the years, um, it was um, New Zealand, um, Canada, then China, believe it or not. We, we went through a stint of selling a lot of product to China. That was mostly for security uh, fences. Yep. And then that market got closed down and our product got copied about 10 times, which was very predictable. Yeah. Um, uh, then it was the US, um, 
then uh, the GFC hit and, and uh, our biggest customer at the time in, in the US got uh, smashed by the, GSV, the GFC. But uh, South Africa took over and they are still our, our largest uh, customer. And my, uh, I have a business partner now based in South Africa and he does the marketing up through the whole of Africa, up into the Middle East, uh, the subcontinent, India, uh, and into Europe. So a lot of our product goes uh, through uh, South Africa and onto other parts of the world um, because he's, he's spun up such a great uh, marketing and um, distribution system in South Africa. Yep, great to hear that like Australian companies are spreading their wings, starting all off from based in Australian agriculture. Good to see. Yep. So for yourself, before we wrap this up, Paul, what would be one piece of farm advice for a farmer looking to get into electric fencing for their livestock to keep them in? Sure. One of the most important things about um, electric fencing is, is planning your fence and the placement of the energizer. And one of the things that's been driving a lot of our growth is the, the price of solar panels has come down dramatically. So it's gone from $10 a watt now to, to about a dollar a watt. That allows us to, to build uh, solar-powered electric fence energizers from, from dot right up to the largest. Farmers can out-position those exactly where they need them and where they should put them is in the centre of their fencing system. So if you can, uh, figure out where the centre of your, your electric fencing system is going to be. And by that, I mean if it's a grid of, of paddocks, you know, put it in the centre. If it's a cartwheel because you're doing cell grazing, put the energizer in the centre. Don't be tempted to put it off to one side because that's where you've got a shearing shed with 240 volts because then you're going to build a structure that looks more like a tree than a, than a grid or a, a, or a wagon wheel. And the tree is the worst structure for electric fencing. It's, it's one of the reasons why a lot of people give up on electric fencing. They'll house a big energizer. Sometimes they'll go out and buy the biggest they can, but they'll put it in where they've got 240 volts in a, in a shed or whatever and then run a line out, that line becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight. Every time they do that, the voltage divides down. So if you can, do it the other way, where you're putting it in the centre, and all of those lines, as many as possible, are going out from that central position. Don't, die, don't try and do too much fencing on one energiser. Figure out a reasonable amount of farm to do on that energiser with the, the solar uh, power at that position and then plan another one at the next location and so on and so on. Yeah, okay. So how how much fencing would you need to add the second energizer on? Do you know that? But basically, um, a single energizer um, in any particular distance, uh, even the biggest energizers, if, if you're powering out further than 10 kilometres from an energizer, then you're going too far. Yeah. Five would, five would be a good limit. Yep. So, but five kilometres, that's in every direction away from the energizer. That's a lot of acres. Yeah. So the big energizers can do thousands of acres from the centre radiating it out. But there, there's definitely a limit. And quite often that limit is, is um, determined by the, the shape of the farm, where the, where the lanes are, where, the, you know, where there's a creek or a, a river or something like that, that that turns the shape of the paddocks into something quite strange. Then you'll say, right, I'm going to power that area from a separate energizer because it just gets too convoluted to go out from that point around other places. So it is, um, we love to have people come to us and say, here's the farm map. This is what I want to power. Yeah. And we'll start to look at it and say, what about here? 
draw some lines and say, you could do that. You could power that part of the farm from here. Or sometimes you can do the whole lot because it's not that big and you've got the, the structure that allows you to do it. Yeah, amazing. Some hot tips. Excuse the pun. But, yeah, it's always <laughs> you never know what you don't know about electric fencing. Um, a few things we could even take away for our family farm here as well. So, mate, thanks for coming on the show and showing your expertise and great to see a company come up through the ranks starting small may it be not what you wanted or what you in hindsight would have liked but you're there now and you've expanded pretty well out into global areas so amazing to see thank you jack it's it's been a pleasure so who else on the farms vice podcast would you like to hear on here i ask every guest just to get someone from a different realm of where my network ends and where yours starts so who that may be, or maybe even an industry that I can approach? Well, I, I suggest you approach uh, Melita and David Smith from Ceristac. So they're doing some uh, amazing um, innovation in the area of virtual fencing. Yep. Um, so that'd be good to talk to. Uh, that's They're really new, really just a startup, but uh, they're doing it properly and doing it well. Um, if you want to talk to uh, farmers who are, uh, are doing electric fencing uh, well. Uh, I would suggest Adam Coffey from yep. um, Coffee & Co, Miriam yep. Um There's also a guy called John Ford out at uh, Mangalala, um, who's, uh, he's got a lot of electric fencing using our systems and uh, fencing dorpers and doing uh, regenerative grazing in, in the semi-arid country. It's out past Mitchell in Western Queensland. So um, he's he's worth talking to. Um, Gary Briggs of uh, Feral Fencing. Yep. Uh, Gary invented a system that sows a fence in the ground. Um, a lot of people have got these, but I, I think this is one of the better ones I've ever seen. Um, he even went so far as to design his own post out of uh, H-section aluminium. Uh, we designed the insulators for him. Uh, when, when it's electrified, it's not always electrified. And as I said, basically, his machines sow the fence in the ground and they can do up to six kilometres a day. So, yeah, right. Interesting guy to, interesting guy to talk to, Gary. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, there's a few. There's some great recommendations. I can say I've got one out of those four already. I had David yeah. from Sarah's Tag on and oh, l- learned all about it. So it's one to put yeah. in your books to listen to. Yeah, there, there's some great innovation going there with boundaryless tags that allow and also the collars moving around for livestock i see new zealand again around that especially for dairies as well yeah yeah but thanks for coming on for anyone wanting to get in touch with jva pacton or yourself to talk to you more about it how can they get in touch with you is that social media or head to pacton well the the great thing about the name pacton is it's almost unique so if, if you can remember P-A-K-T-O-N, you can find us. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on, on the internet in a variety of ways. Um, I'll also put a link to this podcast uh, on my uh, Facebook page if I can. Yep. And um, that'll, that'll uh, allow people to find it via that um, method. Yep. But, yeah, we're active on, on, um, on the social media. But uh, the easiest way, as I said, is just search for Pacton because it is almost unique. If you search on Pacton, you'll find us. Yeah, definitely. I'll have all of these in the show notes. So it makes it a little bit easier for the listeners to tune in and see what you're up to and stay in touch as well. So 
Paul, thanks very much for coming on the FarmsWise podcast and we'll talk to you down the track. Great. Very welcome. Thank you. Cheers, mate. I'll- thanks for tuning in to a Farms Advice episode. Go to farmsvice.com.au for more information and spread the word. If you love this episode, give it a sneaky five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can reach more farmers right across Australia. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.